0: As you're being seated, if you would take out your copies of God's Word and turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. If you're following along in the Pew Bible, it is page 1 for your convenience. I have in the bulletins that we'll be looking at Genesis chapters 1 and 2. We're going to have a particular focus on the end of chapter 1. So I'm just going to read in chapter 1, verses 24 through 31. So listen carefully, because this is God's word that is for you. And God said... And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. If you would please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for bringing us here to this moment where we remind ourselves of your work in our world from its very beginning until its present time. Lord, I ask that you would use the words that we're going to hear from your word and the ones that you empower me to speak. I ask that you would help us to realize more and more what it is that you have done for us. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you are joining us here at Knollwood, welcome. We're glad to have you here. This week marks the beginning of our Advent series. This is a time that we take to think about what Christmas means and how we are supposed to think about it. This is a departure from our normal verse-by-verse going through a book of the Bible. We've been going through Ephesians. We're going to take a break uh, for these next few weeks of Advent to remind ourselves what is it that Christmas is all about. We all will likely see at some point in our Christmas movie watching series come across the classic Peanuts tale of Charlie Brown's Christmas in which that very question is asked. Does anyone remember what Christmas is all about? And amazingly, they give the correct answer. Linus takes the stage, the light dramatically falls on him, and he quotes from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. And there is a specific verse that he gets to that's at the heart of what Christmas is supposed to be about, and that is specifically verse 11, which we all famously know that says, For unto you is born in this, in this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This is going to be the focus, and we're going to be taking the opportunity for each of the phrases here in this particular verse as a launching point to remind ourselves of what Christmas is supposed to be about. Uh, this is be a, a wonderful way of sharing your faith this, in this time as we're all thinking and singing about Jesus Christ the Lord. This is our opportunity to reflect on it. I'm calling this the gospel according to Christmas. We're going to begin with this first phrase that the angel speaks to the shepherds, that midnight clear, where he says, For unto you, who is this you? Who are you? Who am I? It's a basic question that we have to ask, and this has been, become an oddly relevant question for our culture as we become less and less sure what makes us who we are. What makes us human, and why is that important? And why is it that it's surprising that the angel would say, for unto you is born a Savior? We're going to look at those points today. We're going to see some out of Genesis 1 and 2, but we're also going to be looking at various other passages, so keep your Bibles handy as we go through this passage together. For the moment, though, you can see the two points that I want us to get across, answering the question, who am I, who are you, We're going to look at these two points. One, you are created in the image of God. You are created in the image of God. We'll explore what that means. And then the second point is that you need to be recreated in the image of God. And we'll see what I mean by that as we get further along. So the first point that we are going to cover is that you are created in the image of God. For us to hear that we are created tells us something about what we are. Usually, whenever you meet somebody, one of the first questions we like to ask is, where are you from? Where did you come from? Who is your mom and dad? How were you raised? Because usually where you come from can give you a great deal as to how you view the rest of your life. Someone who was born and raised on Long Island typically has a different view of the world than someone who has never left their Wyoming cattle ranch. There's a difference as to where you come from, because it says something about you. So if we're going to ask, what is a human being? Who are you? We need to go back to where we came from, which is all the way back here in Genesis. And the first thing that we find is that we were created. We were created. Our world and the way that it tends to approach humanity is that we are a cosmic accident, Some stars that ran into each other aeons ago that somehow turned into a series of carbons which grew itself into you. This is a fantastic theory, but that says something about our origin. If you are an accident, you don't have a purpose. There's no reason for you to be here. So there's really no reason to respect you. There's really no reason to care about you if you're just a cosmic accident. But the Bible tells us something different, doesn't it? The Bible tells us that we are specially created. We have a purpose. God spells it out for us. It's supposed to multiply, come come across the earth and subdue it. We're not some pestilence that the earth accidentally made and is now in the process of being as as looking at humans as being parasites on our planet, far from it. We have been placed here for a purpose to glorify God and to be his representatives here on this earth. So if this makes us more special, saying we're a cosmic accident with no purpose, why is it that we as a culture shy away from this idea that we are specially created and do have a purpose? I think the reason for that is is if you are created by someone, that means you are owned by someone. If you have a purpose, that means you have a job. And it comes from someone other than you. We find that that person is God. He has something to say about who we are, why we exist. But far from being just another creature that he's made, there is something special that God has made about humanity, even more than us just being created, because that would put us at the same level as birds and fish and creepy things. But instead, we are given here in verse 27 something rather spectacular. Before we even get to that, I wanted to point out something that a a commentator brought to my attention. If you read the rest of chapter 1, and I would encourage you to do that this afternoon, when you look at the account of God creating things in all the other verses, he says something like, let there be, or let the earth bring forth. We saw that in verse 24. But in verse 26, God does something different. Instead of saying, let there be, he says, let us make. There is something particular about the creation of man that God is doing differently. And that we find in verse 27 is that God has created man in his own image. Now, what does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that he has created us in in his image, meaning that we look like God. God is a spirit, doesn't have a body or at least didn't before the Son of Man came to earth. He is a spirit. So he doesn't have arms, legs, hands, and eyes. That's not what he means by image. So what does he mean by image? We're not little gods, or we're not a, a smaller version of a big man. But instead, God has given us a special dignity. There have been some that have tried to figure out exactly what that is. Some would say that man has more of a creative and a moral spirit. That's something like, say, a dog doesn't have. Squirrels don't have existential crises about why they're here. Just gather up the acorns and put them in the tree and not worry about it. But we're not satisfied with just gathering up the acorns. We need to know why we're gathering up the acorns. And there's something special, longs for eternity that's in our hearts that doesn't seem to exist in other creatures. Some would say there's a sense of justice that's there. Some point to the fact that we have relationships with, with one another and need those relationships in love in the same way that the Trinity is a relationship. And I think there is something to be said for all of those things, that there is something unique that has been given to humanity, which is why God guards it so hard. Look even with me, flipping just a few pages over, to Genesis chapter 9. This is after the flood, which we'll get to in a moment. But God gives a command to the people there, the penalty for murder. In verse 6, it says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man his shall his blood be shed, for God made him in his own image. You cannot take the life of someone else, not just because it's a mean thing to do, but it's because God's image rests on that person. This person, whoever they are, is given a special dignity. Whether it's someone who is only three months in the womb or someone who is 103 years old in the hospital bed, there is dignity that is given. And someone who takes that life, it's not their image to take. It's not their life to end. The Lord gives us very specific protections for that life. There is another passage In James chapter 3, which would be wonderful if I could find the specific verse where it is in my notes. You'll just have to read all of chapter 3. I'll give you another bit of homework, James 3. But I promise you, it says in there that you have to be careful with the things that you say that you not use your tongue to worship the Lord and yet curse your fellow man because that man is made in the image of God. So beyond just don't kill them, but even in the way that we speak about other people, needs to be tempered by the fact that we're made in the image of God and have a special dignity. Verse 9, thank you, a true helpmeet. Yes, James 3, 9, with a tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. James calls to the inconsistency with using our tongues in that way. So what is all this saying? What am I meaning here? How does this help answer the question of who are you? You are given a very special dignity, really based on nothing that you have or haven't done. This is a dignity that humans possess by default. And something that we need to respect for each other. There has been something unique that has been made about humanity. Uh, A Dutch theologian by the name of Herman Boving, would encourage your reading of him is fantastic. He looked at human beings, he says, we are the only creatures in which heaven and earth are united together. We're not just a physical being from earth like you would see in dogs and squirrels. But we are also not just spiritual beings like what we see in the angels that circle around the throne of God forever. But we are a soul and a body, heaven and earth, spiritual and corporal, mixed together. That's unique. That is valuable. And it's something we should respect. So in this time, as we're celebrating together the advent of Christ, we reflect, as we have hopefully this past weekend, on all the blessings that we have been given. As we open our eyes and see the rest of the world and we see those around us who are suffering, and while we can't relieve everyone's suffering, the ones that God has put into our path to relieve, they're made of the image of God too. Whether that person is your family member Or someone on the street with a cardboard sign. That person's made in the image of God too. And it's something we bear. We do well to keep in mind. As we think about this season. That we are made uniquely. Now it might be. Having just heard all of this. That we might think. Okay well then it makes sense. What this angel is saying here in Luke chapter 2. For unto us. God is coming. Well, of course. Look how special we are. We're his favorite beings. Well, there's another part of the story that we have to talk about, too. And that comes in Genesis chapter 3. We were made in the image of God. Adam and Eve were made perfect. And as we saw at the end of chapter 1, that they were given all of the fruit of the garden to eat for food. And the animals were all vegetarians. Human beings had nothing to fear about the world that God had created. Because it was all created very good. There was no sin. There was no death. There was no suffering. This is what he had created. But he gave them one command. There was one tree they could not eat from. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Far from this story being just a metaphor... This is a historical record of what about the beginnings of our world, just as historical as the Declaration of Independence that sits in Washington. What we see here is our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned against this command. They were told by the serpent that God was in fact actually not that good, that he was holding out something from you. That if you would take of this tree that he commanded you not to eat, that you would be like him. And then they take and they break this rule that God had given to them. And introduce shame into the world. And marred the image of God. If we think of the image of God as something like the back of a quarter bears the image of George Washington, we could think of sin as being like staining and dirt that covers and distorts that image. The image is still there. Washington's face is still on the back of the quarter, no matter how dirty it gets. And in the same way, we possess the image of God, no matter how sinful we are. That's why even in Genesis chapter 9, as we just saw, when humanity had gotten as wicked as they could possibly have been, so much so that they had to, God wiped them all out in a flood, even post sin in Genesis 9, the life of man was still held in high regard. They still had the image of God even though they were sinning, but now it was marred. Now, instead of also reflecting the holiness, righteousness, goodness, and justice of God, it's now been twisted. And we are now unjust, unrighteous, sinful, and distort that image. Now, instead of the world being able to look at humanity and say, it's like, oh, wow, I'm reminded of God by looking at these people. Now it's saying, who do these people look like? And if you think that it's unfair that our... Personal experience with sin, that we're our image, that our ability to reflect the image of God has been marred based on what Adam and Eve did, well, you're more than welcome to compare your own record against Adam and Eve. And I think we would find that given in that situation, we all would have made the same choice, because we do today. We know what we're not supposed to do. We do it anyway. That's why we need to be recreated. In the image of God. That's what we're going to look here in our second point. As we saw, this is a people that was made morally perfect. But the descent into corruption was extremely quick. In fact, as we see just two chapters or three chapters later in Genesis chapter 6, In verse 5, it says the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And that process has continued even to today. While we have learned how to hide our evil a little bit better in our modern times, all of those things still happen. No, we don't see as much crucifying people in the streets as we might have seen in ancient societies. We've put all of those things behind walls and called them planned parenthood. We've still kept up the murder street quite well, even in our civilized country. Even in our own thoughts and tensions of our hearts and directions of our web browsers have told us that our evil is still here. And it might seem looking at the state of our world and looking at us, it would be absolutely beyond hope. And you'd be exactly right. Until we get to Luke chapter 2. And we hear the angels say, for unto you. This mass of humanity that was meant to reflect the character and nature of God that has reflected almost anything but is now being given the opportunity to be recreated. What does that mean? be recreated. Well, we can take a look at 2 Corinthians. Turn with me there if you will. 2 Corinthians 5:17. Paul writes to us in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, where he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new is come. He continues, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What is this talking about? This tells us that we can be made new. Now the quarter, so to speak, can be washed and brought back to what it was supposed to be. Now, will we fully reflect the image of God in perfect holiness and righteousness, this side of heaven? No. The Lord is still working on us. But there is something brand new that has been put inside. But if we don't see that transformation, we might conclude that maybe there hasn't been a new creation done in us yet. One of my favorite illustrations of this comes from a preacher's name is Paul Washer. He describes being late to a sermon. And if he was to or if I was to run into this pulpit and say, I'm so sorry that I was late. But on the way here, I had to change the tire on my van, and one of the little nuts rolled out into the street. I had to run out to go get it, and when I picked it up, I came face-to-face with a semi-truck, and it hit me, and that's why I'm late. How many of you would believe me looking like this? Quite dapper. (laughs) If I do say so myself. You would assume that I'm lying. And why is that? Because if I'm going to have an encounter with a semi-truck, I'm going to walk away a changed man. And in the same way, if you are going to claim that you have had an encounter with the living God, and you walked away with that with no change at all, then you don't deserve to be believed either. We will be made new. That is a promise from God, not a motivational line for you to change yourself. This is a promise that you will be changed. You will be recreated in his image. Again, not instantaneously, but bit by bit, day by day, as you walk with Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, more and more of those sins are peeled back from your heart. Now, you may notice the longer you walk with Jesus, that may be difficult to see because one of the marks of being close to God is realizing how sinful you really were. When you first come to Christ, you have an understanding that you're sinful. But the more and more time you spend with Christ, the more and more you see how different You are from him. It's like the longer you spend in front of the mirror after just coming in from working, the more you look at yourself, you'll see there's more and more dirt in places you didn't see it before. But those things are going to be continually to be worked on and continue to change. So if we're going to ask the question this season, or if you are going to tell others this season, What it is that Christmas is all about. We need to start with who we are. That there is a dignity that is to be given to all people, which means no matter what the other person is or is not in your eyes, this means they deserve the gospel. Whether it is they are drug dealers or whether they are hypocritical pastors, they need the gospel. You've been commanded to give it to them. No, they don't deserve that Jesus would die for them, but he has anyway. We're going to see more how it is that God makes all these things new and how it is that he can forgive us next week. But for now, we we can know for certain that in order to recreate us as new human beings, Christ became one himself. That Jesus took on human nature to live as one of us who had arms, legs, eyes, and hair and does so even today. Lived as one of us the life that we should have lived and died as one of us the death that we should have died and then rose again. Because God cares about his image. God cares about his creation. Not because of something special that we've done, but because of a special dignity that he has given. So that means that can't be taken away from you or anybody else. <clears throat> so what does this mean for us for Monday? For Monday, when you're commuting to work, person that cut you off in traffic made in the image of God. So as it says in Genesis three, verse nine, thank you, dear. Don't use your mouth to curse that person because they're made in the image of God. When you meet somebody whom you're afraid to give the gospel to, they have a dignity. You're to give them that gospel. They need to be recreated just as you have. So go and give them that gospel. That's what this means for us. And that's why it's so special that the angel would say. For unto you is born a savior. And it's something that we will get to celebrate. But if you're not following Jesus. The savior has been given unto you. Person sitting in the pew. Or person watching online. The savior is for you too. This is a personal thing. That can be yours. If you'll but turn from your sin. Put your trust in Christ. And he will make you new. He will recreate you in the image of himself. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we do thank you for this beautiful gift that you have given to us here at Christmas time. That we, while we were still sinners, you died for us. So I ask that you would help us this Christmas as we notice the other people who are around us, who have been made in your image, that we would bring them the gospel and that we would trust in it ourselves more and more as each day goes by. Lord, we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.